Hold me down, Lord, that I may uplift thee. I speak to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect. For the past four Sundays, we've been hearing Jesus' inaugural address, the Sermon on the Mount, when he declares what the kingdom of God is like and how the disciples, how we are to live into that kingdom. So far, the teachings have been pretty difficult. But this week, Jesus ups the ante further continuing to intensify the law. You have heard it said that limited vengeance is okay, an eye for an eye. But I tell you not to resist. Turn the other cheek. If they sue you for your coat, throw in your cloak. Go the second mile. And then Jesus drops the bomb. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Suddenly, I don't feel so great. This all sounds nice in theory. It sounds terrible when you're faced with actual enemies, when you're being harmed, oppressed, ridiculed, and hurt, when your lizard brain kicks in and you're seeing red. Well, loving enemies is nearly impossible. And it sounds like Jesus is asking us to be doormats, or worse, suckers. After all, we all know the best thing to do to an enemy is to defeat, even destroy them. But here's the thing. Jesus isn't talking about winning. He's not talking about our enemy at all. He's talking about us. He's talking about his followers. He's inviting us not to win or to lose, but to be transformed. There's been a lot of attention paid in the last couple years to remembering the Civil Rights Movement. After all, in 2015, we celebrated the 50th anniversary of the three marches from Selma, Alabama, that advocated for African Americans to be able to exercise their right to vote. That first march ended violently as nearly 600 peaceful marchers were met by state troopers on horseback 
and an angry mob of young men deputized quickly that morning. As the marchers crossed the Edmund Pettus Bridge, they were brutally attacked, some beaten unconscious, including one of their leaders, now Congressman John Lewis. That Sunday is now known as Bloody Sunday. For the 50th anniversary of the marches, Congressman Lewis published a graphic memoir, The Trilogy March. This is the first volume. The rest are upstairs at coffee hour. In this memoir and in an interview on NPR's On Being, which one of you recommended to me, Congressman Lewis tells his story and the story of the movement, which is powerful from start to finish. But I was most taken by Lewis's description of the training that participants in the movement underwent long before they ever crossed that bridge or had a sit-in at a lunch counter. Lewis recounts how while a student in Nashville, Tennessee in the 50s, already inspired by the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, he began attending workshops on nonviolence at his church. There they learned about civil disobedience and the way of peace by studying Jesus and the Gospels, the writings of Thoreau and Gandhi. Lewis and others were studying nonviolence so that they might challenge segregation, but what they found then was that they were engaging in a spiritual, not a political, confrontation. First, they had to confront themselves. They had to allow themselves to be shaped and formed into people of peace and love. So they studied. And then they practiced. They role-played together. They practiced being shouted at and shoved, having chairs pulled out from underneath them, having water poured over their heads or being spit upon. They practiced protecting themselves if they were to be beaten or kicked. And over time, they developed the internal strength to face humiliation with dignity and nonviolence. And they did all of this because, as Congressman Lewis says, it's just not something that is natural. You have to be taught the way of peace, taught the way of love, the way of nonviolence. When Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall hate your enemy, he's not quoting scripture. That shows up nowhere in Torah, but he is citing human nature. It's natural to hate our enemies and those who hurt us. What Jesus is asking, what those in the civil rights movement were learning is unnatural, but it's transformational. Love our enemies. And in fact, that is what those in the movement, including John Lewis, were learning. They learned how to retain their dignity while being assaulted. There were rules for that. Never strike back or curse. 
Be friendly and courteous at all times. Sit up straight at the lunch counters. Always maintain eye contact. Look your attacker in the eye as a way of saying, you may beat me, but I'm human. Does this sound familiar yet? Is it reminding you yet of the gospel that we just heard today? When, preach, when Jesus preaches against retaliation, an eye for an eye, and encourages his followers not to resist an evildoer, he's addressing the current political situation, one in which Rome is the colonizing government and determines the lives and treatments of their oppressed subjects. In this context, what Jesus recommends here is not rolling over and letting the enemy walk over you. Rather, Jesus suggests a way to maintain one's dignity and humanity. If someone slaps you on the right cheek and given the need to use one's right hand in that culture, this would be a backhanded slap, the kind you use to humiliate another, well, turn your cheek, which the enemy now must hit with his fist or right hand, treating him, treating you like an equal. If someone takes your coat, your outer garment, give him your cloak, your undergarment as well. Walk right out of debtor's court stark naked. Leave your creditor holding your coat in one hand, the cloak in the other. You might be naked, but you've placed the shame on the enemy by showing him to be unjust, a bully, and by making clear that you are not afraid. And finally, a Roman soldier could compel any citizen to carry his pack for up to one mile, but no more. You could imagine how frightened the average person was of those soldiers, how resentful to be pulled out of their own lives and forced to carry a pack that weighed 60 to 85 pounds. But this practice was widespread and often abused by soldiers. So what does Jesus tell his followers to do? Carry that pack a second mile. By doing so, the oppressed reasserts his dignity and the soldier is now in the very odd position of trying to get his pack back. Frankly, the soldier was probably a little freaked out. Forcing resentful Jews to carry their packs was usual. Trying to stop an enthusiastic subject from taking off with one's pack for a second mile is pretty embarrassing. In all three of these situations, the oppressed have regained their dignity by making their own decisions and taking their own actions, insisting that they be seen as humans, equals, even as they're being assaulted. They might be living under Caesar's laws, but they're following God's ways. This is an amazing way to understand the passage it makes a lot more sense than imagining Jesus telling us to be doormats, doesn't it? Even so, civil disobedience and nonviolence are not goals in and of themselves. Love is. Love is the goal. At the end of the passage, Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, echoing Leviticus. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And what does that mean, 
to be perfect and holy like God? Well, it's to live the way God would have us live, to live into the kingdom of God where we love one another and we reconcile with enemies, we provide for the poor and the immigrant, we treat workers and people with disabilities fairly. It's where we create a beloved community. And in order to do all that, well, we've got to be transformed. We've got to be reformed and shaped from the inside out so that our insides match what God has created us to be, beings who love. Now, this way of being, reconciliation, loving your enemy so much, you're willing to take risks not just for yourself, but for the sake of the soul of your enemy too, well, that sounds pretty utopian. It sounds like pretty words from Jesus, and they would be just that if we didn't have this model of sacrificial love for us from God in the cross and in the resurrection. While the civil rights workers were learning how to maintain their dignity and to protest nonviolently, they were also learning how to love. Congressman Lewis writes and talks about how important it was at the sit-ins and marches to, re to resist nonviolently and to love those who attacked them. They would try to imagine their attacker, the person beating them and spitting upon them, as an innocent child. They would try to imagine what had happened to that person. Were they hurt? Were they taught to hate? The civil rights workers tried to appeal to the goodness of every human and to never give up on anyone. In his interview, Congressman Lewis said, it was love at its best. It was love at its best. That you beat me, you arrest me, you take me to jail, you almost kill me. But in spite of that, I'm going to still love you. I'm going to still love you. That's loving your enemies. That's trying to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. That's living as if the beloved community already exists. It's living into the kingdom of God, which is not fully here yet, but where we know each one of us will be recognized as the dignified child of God we are and where enemies will be friends. Until that time, when the kingdom of God is on earth as it is in heaven, we will need to resist injustice. That's one of the ways we Christians are called to be perfect, to be holy, to be separate from a world that still too often loves to oppress and divide. But even as we do that, we are called to love. Love even our enemies, even those who persecute us, for we are never to give up on anyone because as Congressman Lewis says, hate is too heavy a burden to bear. So beloved, do not resist an evildoer, but do not give up on your dignity either. Love your neighbor and Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And be perfect, be perfect therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect.
the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.